Good morning. Uh, it's great to have all of you here with us this morning. As we gather, we're going to be spending some time continuing in the book of Mark. Uh, so I'm going to just tell you right now, let's, let's jump right in. Uh, Mark chapter 6, verses 14 to 29, page 841, if you uh, are using the Pew Bible. And want to remind you again, if you do not have a Bible of your own, those blue Pew Bibles are for your taking. Uh, feel free to take that home. We want to make sure that everyone has the Word of God with them. So if you need to, take that with you. Uh, but we're going to jump right into uh, today's passage. I'm just, I'm very excited about what we're going to be learning uh, and what we can apply to our lives. So Mark chapter 6, verses 14 to 29. i follow along. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said... John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he is Elijah. And others said he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent out and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man. And he kept him safe. And when he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, yet he had heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, for what should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry because of his oaths and his guests. He did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Yeah, I got nothing. Let's just, uh, Ilya, let's just go right back to some worship. So, so we, you know, we knew where we were going in the book of Mark. And back in January, you know, Pastor Aaron said, oh, it's, you know, I'm going to be away this Sunday. Do you want to, do you want to take the passage? I'm like, yeah, give me something. That'll be good. So, and he said, all right, so you have Mark 6, 14 to 29. I'm like, it's in the book of Mark. That'll be good. A couple of weeks ago, I said, I probably should start reading it. And I walk into his office and said, I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> I get the, what am I going to do with this? So I have spent some time thinking about it. And I have some visuals. Um, but no, no, no. no. <laughs> uh, but it was interesting. As I was reading it, it reminded me in my own life. No, it didn't remind me of anything in my own life either. I mean, it's just... I didn't know what to do with this passage. I was like, we can read it and say, it's in there, so we're going to go with it. But, and it also seems to be, 
very strange. You know, so last week, Pastor Aaron preached about the disciples going out two by two. They had great success. Next week, he's going to talk about them coming back and talking about the great success they had, and then they're going to do, he's going to do a miracle and, you know, feed a couple thousand people. And I get this little sandwich thing right in the middle. So why is it there? Um, it, it's interesting because we get a little hint in verse 16. Uh, but when Herod heard of this, he said, John, whom I have beheaded. So this is not the actual beheading. This is something that's taken place. So it's, it's in the past tense. So it's a look back at something that has already happened. So Mark really could have put it anywhere in the gospel for it to, you know, if he wants to tell this story. Um, and it's uh, just a couple of things. It's the uh, longest story in the book of Mark. Most of his are much shorter. And it's also the only one where Jesus is not even a character in it. It's John the Baptist and Herod. So again, it's just kind of... So why is this here? Um, why did Mark put it there? But I think as we look at it more closely, we're going to see that the reason is that while the disciples were out and they had come back to great success, Mark was kind of painting a picture. It's like, yeah, you were successful, but now you're, what you're doing is being known. The name of Jesus is becoming more known. Let me tell you a little story about somebody who took a stand and made Jesus known, and it cost him his life. So there's persecution that took place. We're going to look a little bit about that. And Mark is almost letting people know, it's like, if you do even some of the things that John the Baptist did, it's not going to be easy. You're going to have persecution. It may cost you your life. Um, the early church needed to hear that. We need to hear that today uh, because we're prone to interpret difficult times as a sign that God is either impotent or uncaring when we deal with stuff like that. But even in this passage, we know God was very much alive. God was very much caring for what took place, but he allowed this. And there are as we talk through the rest of uh, this passage and as we go from this place, we're going to be reminded that God is still at work. God is still powerful and loving. But things are allowed to happen for His glory and for our growth. Um, so we're going to kind of look at that and take a little bit of a closer look at it so we can learn uh, even more. So we're going to break it up in a couple of different uh, parts here just to understand a little bit more what's going on, because to hear it all the way through, there's a lot of little things that we can miss. So just that we'll look at verses 17 to 20 one more time. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, 
he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. Again, there's a lot of stuff that's going on, even in that passage. So we get the reason for John's incarceration. Why was he put in jail? Herod had John arrested for telling Herod that it was not lawful for him to marry his brother's wife. <clears throat> so John would have based this on two passages from the Torah, so Leviticus 18:16, where it says, you shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife, it is your brother's nakedness. And Leviticus 20, 21, if a man takes his brother's wife, it is impurity. He has uncovered his brother's nakedness. They shall be childless. So John just said, what you're doing is wrong. And you're, you're Jewish. This is from the Torah. You know the importance of this. You know what you should be doing and how you should be living. So John took a stand and let them know that what they were doing was wrong. And because John took this stand, they got him thrown in prison. Luckily, Herod feared John and did not put him to death like his wife Herodias had wanted. Herod knew there was something special about John. He knew that he was righteous, holy, and then that last, uh, verse 20 says, when he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. It's almost like Herod was like, I'm intrigued with, with what you're preaching and what you're teaching. I've heard about you. You're that weird guy out in the river. You wear some weird clothes. You eat some weird food. <clears throat> you tell all of us we're bad and we're wrong, and then you push people underwater. You're a little strange. But what you're saying it's perplexing me. So it's making me kind of think through and rethink everything I've been brought up with, what you're saying, because you're saying something new here. You're saying something a little different. And I like it to a sense. So much so that I know my wife, you know, I'm kind of bugged that you told me I can't marry Herodias, but she wants you dead. I'm not going to kill you because I kind of enjoy our, our talks. You know, was, was John kind of walked out and it's like, you know, it's now the fireside chat with Herod and John and they're sitting there kind of sharing. Or, you know, if it was a really good movie, it would have been uh, Herod used the underground tunnels that no one knew about and he snuck up into the prison to meet with, with John. You know, you can have a lot of fun thinking about that. But somehow they got together and talked a lot. And Herod knew through his discussion that he was a holy and righteous man. That he didn't kill him. But, verse 21, but an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. He threw himself a huge party. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, for what should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. She came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry. <laughs> but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. 
He went, beheaded him in the prison, and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. The girl gave it to her mother. When the disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. So Herod likes to party. He throws himself a huge party with lots of people, lots of important people, lots of drinking, lots of dancing. So there's our first point. Now, uh, so it was at this time when he offered his stepdaughter up as a dancer. A little strange, but he goes, um, a stepdaughter of mine, come in here and, and dance for all of my guests. Again, there had been a lot of drinking, a lot of partying, and so we get this, this strange kind of statement where it says where Herod was pleased. Not sure what that means, but we know that his pride kicked in at that point. Like, yeah, this is my stepdaughter. She's doing a pretty good job, right? And you guys all seem to be enjoying it. Come forward. I will give you whatever you wish because you've pleased me, you've pleased my guests. This is awesome. I'll give you up to half my kingdom. Side note, he was not a king. He was a tetrarch which is different. It's interesting because Mark, um, probably ironically at the beginning, calls him King Herod because of the way he viewed himself. And for him to say, I'll give you up to half my kingdom. He didn't have a kingdom to give away. But it was just kind of like, I'm going to throw this out there. Whatever you want, it's yours, up to half my kingdom. So Mark is like, yeah, King Herod, you want to know what he did? And tells this story. Uh, but because he is so pleased and prideful, he offers whatever she wants. So she runs to mom. Mom, we can have whatever we want. What do we want? Herodias, I don't know if she knew this was coming or if she's like, I got my chance. John the Baptist, I want his head. I finally get rid of that guy who told me and Herod that we're not supposed to be married. It's wrong. It's bad. And Herod wouldn't kill him. Now he has to. John the Baptist's head on a platter. And Herod did not know what to do. Uh, so he, because of all the people that are there, it says he was exceedingly sorry. But because of what he'd said and because of his guests, he goes, I, I can't lose face. I have to do what I said was going to do. And I like this guy. I, our conversations. He's exceedingly sorry, but he does it. He did what she requested and had him beheaded. And it was interesting because I was thinking that during our, our worship this morning, I think those last two songs, John would have been singing them. Right? So he knows what's going on, and he's going to, at some point, step forward to Herod and go, uh, by the way, you and your wife, this is wrong. You shouldn't be doing it. You know the Torah. No. And his mind is like, all right, you make me brave. I got to take this stand. I know it's going to be tough. Um, and then in the midst of all that, now he's imprisoned. And I can imagine as he's, I, know, I like to... I guess because I work with teens, I like to kind of think outside the box a little bit. What's happening between the verses? So John's in prison. All of a sudden, this guy comes, and I don't know if he was an executioner with the black hood and, you know, did, you know, 
This is what I look like when I'm in um, you know, all the movies. So does he come in and John's like, all right, this is it. And as he's walking to wherever it's going to happen, it's like, you know, be thou my vision. God, it's all about you. I'm doing this for you, and look, now it's going to cost me my life. You're worth it. I'm still going to take this stand. I'm not suddenly backing off. Um, you know, think of uh, William Wallace, you know, in the movie when they were, if you ended that movie, um, when they were about to behead him and said, just one word, all you have to say, and then at the last moment, he just yells, freedom. And he goes, and as soon as I declare this word, I'm a dead man. But I'm holding true to that. John held true to his convictions, even though it cost him his life. Now, we'll, we'll finish it up. Uh, actually, not. we're going to finish up by going to the beginning. Verses 14 through 16. Because we started at 17. So, King Herod heard of it. So, it means, all right, so what was happening before this part? Jesus is sending out the 12 apostles. So is it that he's hearing about, oh my gosh, it's not only Jesus anymore. His disciples are going out. They're now casting out demons. They're anointing with oil many who are sick and they're healing them. The name of Jesus is going out. And he says it at the beginning. He says, for Jesus' name had become known. Was it something like that that just triggered in his own mind this thought? It's like, oh great, now... Jesus is becoming known. And some people are saying, this is John the Baptist come back to life. No, 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 this is, this is Elijah. So it's starting this whole process in Herod's mind of, but I've, I killed John the Baptist. This must be John the Baptist come back to life. So that all the people that he's talking with John the Baptist is a name that they suggest first. Some said John the Baptist had been raised from the dead. If you remember when uh, Jesus uh, approaches his disciples and he says, so, who do people say that I am? Oh, you're John the Baptist. Something was about John or Elijah, but there was something about John the Baptist in this region. It's like anything happens, like, oh, it's John the Baptist again. So we know that he was doing some strange stuff, but he was known, and they knew who he was. He was a holy and a righteous man. So they're, they're kind of tying into that. Uh, but when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. So this, we're getting a, a flashback in Herod's mind of what's happening. It's like, this is somehow tied back into what happened. But I also want to challenge you to think it's, it's a flash forward. Herod, and go with me on this, Herod is foreshadowing Pilate, and John is foreshadowing Jesus. These two leaders are nominally in charge, kind of in charge of what's going on, not really. Uh, like Herod, Pilate is amazed by the circumstances surrounding this innocent prisoner called Jesus. Herodias is the one that wanted John the Baptist beheaded. And John goes, well, I won't do that. I'll just, I'll arrest him. It was the high priest who wanted Jesus killed and Pilate was like, no, 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 I'm not going to kill him, but I'll, I'll beat him and I'll hold him as prisoner because I don't think there's anything wrong with him. You know, at one point I washed my hands. He, he's an innocent man. 
then they are both swept up in events that spin out of their control. And they're unable to back down after being outmaneuvered publicly. So Herod goes, oh, daughter of mine, what do you want? I'll give you whatever. Uh, I want John the Baptist's head on the platter. Oh, that was not what I was thinking you were going to say. Pilate, every year at this time, I release a prisoner to you. Do you want this innocent man, Jesus, or Barabbas? We know he's a known murderer. We want Barabbas. Not the answer I was thinking you were going to give me. So they send them, you know, Barabbas is released. What do I do with this prisoner, Jesus, then? Crucify him. Crucify him. And I, in my mind, I'm always going back to the movie Passion of the Christ. Because I just, I, I watch that every year with the youth group. And it's just, I remember it, the crowds just chanting that. And just the, the, the visual of Pilate's face kind of going, uh, I'm, I'm not sure, but you guys are wanting this. So he goes, all right, we're going to do what the crowd wants. So both of these people, because of the, the circumstances, the people that were around them, ended up doing something that they probably were not wanting to do. And like John, Jesus is passive in his final hours, then executed by capital punishment. You know, we don't hear of anything from John while he's in prison. We hear about him. Jesus, while he is, uh, when he's arrested and thrown in prison, we... I mean, we know he's been beaten, but he's, he's basically silent during all of this, except when they ask, you know, a question, and he responds back to that, but he's silent. He, obviously, you know, because we've heard that where he said he could have called 10,000 angels, he could have done all these things, but he chose not to because he knew this is the course for my life. So we get a little bit of um, uh, foreshadowing between those, uh, these two episodes, so there are three things that we can learn from this passage. There is something we can learn from a party and a beheading. Uh, so I want to I challenge us on these three things. First, we see the clash of kingdoms. The kingdom of God versus the kingdom of this world. John takes a stand for and represents the kingdom of God. He goes to the higher-ups and says, what you're doing is wrong, and you know it. It would not have been a surprise. They would have known the Torah, so it was not a surprise to them. So they chose to not follow that. John takes a stand for that. Herod represents the kingdom of this world, which was not based on the teachings of the Torah, which is a Jew he was bound to. He knew it, but he chose not to. So which kingdom do you represent in this world? There are many issues that we need and should take a stand for, but with the PC and tolerance culture abounding, we choose to remain silent. Go to Grace Groups this week. I have a really good question in there for you guys to discuss based on that right there. Okay? That's my plug for grace groups. It's just, we have to think through some things. This is not really, so we can't go, so well, all right, so let's you know, go around it. In those smaller settings, 
I really want to encourage you, get to your group this week because you're going to have to discuss some really tough stuff. Basically, how does the PC and tolerant culture affect us as Christians? Oh, there you go. Small groups, enjoy it. Second, we see the choices made and the choices that we need to make. We can be like John, who was strong in his moral conviction and true to Scripture. He knew it was not going to be easy going up to Herod. And I'm, I'm trying to figure out how did he do this? How did he get to Herod to say this? I mean, remember, he was, so Herod and Herodias are kind of in this, you know, castle because he has his kingdom here. And John has been down at the river baptizing. So how did he get an opportunity to speak to Herod and kind of say, no, the two of you, what you're doing, it, it's, it's wrong, and you know it. I don't know. I can't find anywhere in here. You know, was he one of the first people to carry a sign outside the castle? You know, what you're doing is wrong. What you... I don't know. Or was it just that as he kept speaking the truth, and he called out, and he's, you know, just because he was telling people to turn from their sin, did he immediately use Herod and Herodias as the example? Don't know. But somehow, Herod heard of it, and so did Herodias. He took a stand. So we can choose to be like John, or we can choose to be like Herod, who is weak, easily tempted, and easily manipulated. We give in to whatever crowd is around us. We can sway that way. We can sway the other way. Now, again, this is teens. We've talked about this. <laughs> That is probably the hardest time of life to do that, to take a stand, because it's like everything is all over the place. And in doing that, it's easier sometimes to be, to go with the crowd um, and to follow that. In Sunday school today, we're watching Matt Chandler going through Psalm 119, and he talked about he was on the football team in high school, and in the locker room after a game, this guy named Jeff came up to him and he said, we need to talk about Jesus. When can we get together? And he said, the foot, now I wasn't an athlete. I was marching band. Anyone? All right. Uh, all right, I see some hands. All right, good. <laughs> some more hands. All right. So Matt says, the football locker room after a football game is not where you talk about Jesus. He said, some of the stuff that's being talked about, you know, moral implications, stuff like that. And he said, but this guy called him out and he said, we, I need to talk to you about Jesus. When can we get together? And he kept pushing him. And he finally got together and it talks about him coming to Christ. And that's hard to do in high school, at work, in your neighborhood, anywhere. To, it's easy here. You can say and say, yeah, I know that, yeah. Go, Jesus, let's sing. To take a stand um, and to not be manipulated, to choose to, to take that stand, to stand for what's right, to be true to Scripture is hard to do. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Aaron, we were going through the path again in Mark, and we talked about um, Jairus, Remember, he came up and said, my daughter is dying. I need you to come. Would you come heal her? On the way there, the woman 
steps out and touches his cloak and becomes healed. Both of them took a step out of the crowd to take a stand for what they knew. They, they knew that in doing this, I'm going against everything that the people I'm a part of would believe. You know, this woman who had this uh, bleeding for so many years and was considered unclean, she knew her place. It's in the back. I'm not even supposed to approach the crowd. So she pushes through the crowd to touch Jesus. She stepped out of the crowd. Jairus did that. He was, his, his place in the community said, no, we don't do that. But he said, I want you to come to my house and heal my daughter. They took a stand. They stepped out of the crowd. They had the courage to do that. So where do you stand? Will you stand strong even when tempted and pressured to choose otherwise? We need to examine ourselves and compare how we act against what we say we believe. Do they line up? Do they match up? Each of us makes shortcuts and compromises to maintain our status and our reputations. We don't need to conform to our neighbors, our communities, our nation, and what they expect from us. This is what we conform to. To the word of God, to the son of God who gave his life for us. And it's doable. This is one of the coolest things about God. Anytime he asks us to do anything, he goes, I'll be there with you. I need you to be my witness. Well, actually, yeah, I do want you to be my witness, but... I'm going to actually be the witness through you. My Holy Spirit is going to live, you, live within you, so we got this. He's never calling us to go and do anything on our own. I will be with you forever. All authority has been given to me. I give it to you. My Spirit is living in you. Do this. Secondly, He's given us the church. None of us are doing this on our own. Take a look around. These people are doing life with you. They're being called to live just like you are. Think about that. Even this week, if, you, if you're like, oh, man, it would be so easy to compromise right here. But oh, when Jeff told me to turn around, I saw Michael right there. And I know he's living. He's taking a stand. I can. I saw, I saw John. And, and John, if he's doing this, I can do this. Remember that God has never called us to do these things alone. He's given us the community of believers. He's given us his word, his Holy Spirit. We can do these things. We can step out of the crowd that surrounds us and follow Jesus and stand next to him. Third, finally, that's probably, you want to hear that as opposed to the third. You want to hear the word finally. We see in this passage that we will most likely be persecuted for choosing right and representing the kingdom of God. This is not the fun one. Jesus said himself in Matthew 5, 10 to 12, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. This is... The fine print. You know, when we chose to follow Christ, 
We know well, we, we, we get heaven, we get the Holy Spirit. We love those things. I get life lived to the full. Fine print is also um, people are going to persecute you. They're going to utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. But rejoice. And be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets. You're part of this lineage. Others have done this. Others will do it. Will you take the stand? And in John 15, 18 to 21, it says, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Persecute you. We're in good company. Jesus says, I, I've been there. I know what you're going through. And I will be there for you when you go through it. Uh, and then in uh, 2 Timothy 3, Paul writes, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Yeah, I looked up the Greek. It doesn't say who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus might be persecuted. It says you will be persecuted. So are we guaranteed persecution? Yeah. We are. Jesus said, it's going to happen. Paul says, it's going to happen. How do we define persecution, though? It can range from what happened with John the Baptist, physical torture, death, being imprisoned, to probably what we're more dealing with, being excluded, being mocked, being laughed at. And I know it just sounds really weird to kind of say those are the same kinds of, I'm not saying they're the same kinds of persecution, but it's still persecution. So much so that a lot of times it causes us to shut down, right? Uh, Merriam-Webster.com, I always go in there to see where I was. Well, how does he or they define persecution? Persecution is the act of harassing or punishing in a manner designed to injure, grieve, or afflict those who differ in origin, religion, or social outlook. So everything I described before can be listed as persecution. Thank God for where we are, that we are not being people running in right now and taking me out. You're preaching? Yep, your head's coming off. I'm thankful for that. We're not getting... We don't have to meet in secret, hidden, no more than seven or eight at a time because if 200 people gather and started singing, the authorities would know. So you have to, you know, we're not there either where we have to worship in hiding. But a lot of times what we consider to be that persecution is if I just don't say anything, then everything will be okay. Because if I do say something, what if they laugh at me? What if they mock? Oh, so when, I, when uh, between my sophomore and junior year of college, I worked <laughs> Bernard's Township Sewerage Authority. Do so you know what I worked in? 
And I was, oh, I was known as preach. Every time I say, yo, preach is here, so we got to act good and all that stuff. And it would have been very easy to just kind of go along with the crowd, but there were times where I would kind of call them out, but they expected it, and probably then that's how I got the funny nickname. Is like, so then they kind of wrote it off. It's like, oh, it's just him being him, just Jeff being preach. But are we even doing that? Are we even taking any kind of small stand or small step for Jesus? I challenged the kids this morning in Sunday school. I said, here's my challenge to you. Tomorrow morning at school when they say, what'd you do this weekend? You don't have to talk about, oh, I saw a great movie. Man, I got to go to a Yankee game, got to watch it. I went to church. I said, and you can just leave it at that. Because then they will let them follow. Oh, you go, what church? What, what do you guys do at that church? Is it like mine, mine, you know, whatever church they're part of? It's just a small stand. It's not like, what did you do this weekend? Well, I came and worshiped Jesus, and you need to right now fall down and worship him. And, and not that, because then you will, you'll get, they will silence listening to you anymore. It's those, it's, the stand can be a small stand like that. Just like, I went to church. And what did you let them, then because you're beginning the, the, the conversation after them. So the real question is, are we willing to take a stand that would invite persecution? Or do we back down because of the perceived possibility of mockery? We represent the kingdom of God, and in the end, we know who wins. I've read, I've read the last chapter. It's awesome. I'm waiting for Spielberg to make a movie out of it. It would just, we know where it's going. John didn't. John just said, all I know is, this is, behold, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and I'm willing to die for him. And that's all I got. But it was enough for him that he, he took that stand. We also know who will never leave us or forsake us, Jesus. We have someone who is residing in us to give us courage, power, and the ability to do the things God wants us to do, the Holy Spirit. So what do we learn from this kind of strange passage? That we have a choice. We can be like John. We can be like Herod. We can represent the kingdom of God, or we can represent the kingdom of this world. We can take a stand that invites persecution or we can blend into the background and live a not-to-the-full life where we are just wallpaper. We've just completely blended. There's nothing special about us. Interesting, just this past, last week, um, Pastor Aaron was at a conference and he came back and said, what did, you know, you were there four or five days away. He said, the main thing I got was we need, to, and the, the theme was distinct. We're called to be holy. We need to be distinct. People need to know something's different about us. If I, I've said this, I, I keep re referencing the high schoolers. I mean, I've been working with them for 38 years. So I, I say it to them, I'll say it to you. If I go to your work and I say, oh, yeah, someone's do you know he goes to our church? Would they go, no, I know what he did last night, man, we just, yeah. 
There's no way he goes to church. Or they say, I knew it. I knew there was something different about him or her. Now I understand why. I knew there was something. Are we distinct in who we are or do we just blend in? Let's pray. God, we thank you for sometimes what can be perceived as a difficult passage in your word, but God, what we can learn from it, what we can be challenged from, God, what we can be called to do as a result. We know that in the end, your kingdom reigns, though they may have thought that they silenced John by killing him. We still know who is in who is sovereign. God, we know that you go before us. You are there. You go behind us. You are there. God, your kingdom reigns. Help us to let people know that, to be distinct, to step out from the crowd, to make that choice even this week. We love you and we thank you for first loving us and sending your son Jesus Christ to die in our place be glorified. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.